Hello and welcome to For the Love of Merlin. I'm Sonia and with me is my co-host Mila. Hi Mila. Hi. Oh my gosh. Season one finale. Can we tell that we're very excited? <laughs> we both have very large, very dumb smile on our faces. So my hands are sweating. I, I'm like really nervous for some reason. <laughs> I wonder why, because there's nothing to talk about in this episode. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to start with the title, like we always do. Le Morte d'Arthur Lesai. I actually have to sigh. Like, physically. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This freaking episode. The synopsis is, Arthur encounters a huge, terrifying monster with a fatal bite. When it strikes Arthur just before Merlin arrives, Arthur's death is nearly certain. It is a good synopsis just because it doesn't, it really just tells you the beginning. And that's that. Speaking of the beginning, I know exactly how I want to start this podcast. I haven't asked you this off air, so I'm going to ask you now. Is it okay if I read a couple of our personal text messages on this podcast? Oh my God. Yes, it is. <laughs> just so the listeners understand. We've mentioned before, I think, we do not talk about Merlin stuff before we record off air because we just don't want to ruin the effect of us getting to talk about it on air for the first time. Yes. And this morning I woke up to, because you are four hours ahead of me, woke up to a few text messages, which I didn't expect, but in, like after reading them, I was like, that's totally fair. Your text messages read, I'm watching the episode. If Gaius dies, I'm out. We're going to have to stop recording the podcast. I'm already upset. Ha ha. Fuck this episode. Are they trying to kill us? These are all accurate responses to watching this episode. So those, the first two messages were like probably 20 minutes in, maybe more, 20 minutes into the episode because when you said, when I was talking about what I wanted to happen last episode, I had a feeling that Guy somehow was involved in all of this, but I didn't want to jinx myself and I didn't want to believe it. So I didn't say anything. So from the beginning, I had a bad feeling. So that those first two texts were about 20 minutes into the episode and then the other ones at the end of the episode, obviously. <laughs> obviously. All of these feelings totally, I think, normal for this episode. I think probably our listeners, if it's their first time watching, they're probably with you now. And if it's someone who's repeat watching or just listening to the podcast because they know the show so well, was with you in the sentiment of, that's how I felt when I saw it. Right. Because... Don't touch Gaius. We'll get into that later. So we open on a hunt. And I'm going to get myself into the frame of mind of not what happened at the end. We start with bantery Merlin and Arthur, which is what we're here for most of the time. <laughs> Look, thank the Lord and thank you to the writers for writing a very light beginning to what is been proven to be a terrible very heavy episode yeah they always pepper this stuff in that's always so brilliant right we get classic merlin 
sass. Like, I'm not naturally rude or insensitive. Just naturally irritating. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good rebut from Arthur. But I do appreciate that Arthur is now developed enough as a person. Look at the change. I think we're going to do this a lot in this episode. Episode one to the season one finale, right? What's the change in these people is a lot of what I want to look at, I think. Look at Arthur, who was a complete jerk in the first episode. Two seconds after he says that, we hear this scary, scary sound. And he turns back at Merlin and says, it's probably more scared of you than you are of it. It's very sweet. He's worried about him. It's very caring to just be like, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, because Merlin's the one who's there without a weapon. (laughs) So he should be scared. And the face on Colin Morgan when he, you know, sees the beast and the double take from Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I love it. They're like a comedy duo. (laughs) He's like, wait, what? And I think we know where the CGI budget from those two episodes with the low budge (laughs) went. I was going to see this. The whole entire episode, I was like, hmm, I see. I see where the money is now. Yeah. The season finale, it's got to be big. There's the dragon and the monster twice. It's just a very big CGI episode. It was the right choice. I totally, I totally approved this choice. I think it was the right choice. Got to go out with a bang. So we go to the court. We're having a little court gathering. And we have a traditional Merlin episode start. To which, first of all, thank you for calling it the questing beast. I actually haven't researched this before the podcast. I don't know if that comes from something. I'm sure it does because they reference a lot of things in this show. Clearly, they do their research. I love this name. I need to read up on what a questing beast is in mythology. And we start where we always do, right? Gaius warns Uther that something very bad is going to happen if he continues on the current course and ignores his warning. And... I love how the warning is there's going to be a time of great upheaval. You mean like every other week at Camelot? When is it not? The part that annoys me the most about the scene is that guys is explaining, oh, this is a questing beast. And then Arthur turns and says, surely that's a myth. I'm like, you saw it with your own eyes. It's not a person that's telling you. You were running away from it five minutes ago. Well, what he's saying is, Gaius, I think you're misidentifying this beast. I don't know. Gaius has been batting a thousand so far. Can you misidentify a beast that's half a tiger, cheetah, or whatever it is, and half a snake? How is that even possible? He's like, you said cobra head, right? No, that's a questing beast. (laughs) The thing that gets to me is how rude Uther is being about it. Not just like, you're wrong. It's, It's the most... Rude way he can tell Gaius to shut up. And we get the usual Uther stuff, which by the way, Uther's always worried about Arthur when he doesn't want him to fight, but then constantly sends him into hyper dangerous situations when he wants him to fight. Honestly, every single time. It's such an Uther behavior. I decide when you risk your life, not you. And for the first time I see here, Gaius going back to Uther and saying, please don't dismiss this one. This one, please, this one, just this one time. Just don't ignore this. If you're going to listen to me one time, can this be the one time? For him to say great upheaval, he means worse than usual. Well, he says that he saw it in which night? Which one other night has guys seen this beast? The night that his wife died. 
which is the worst thing that has happened in his life. Yeah. And here's what I really don't understand. I've conquered the old religion. I don't have to heed warnings anymore. Conquered? Your wife died. What did you conquer? And you're being attacked left and right. This is the problem with continuously fixing stuff with behind the scenes magic and letting them think that they didn't need magic to win. He thinks he beat the Black Knight without magic. This is a lesson that they keep reinforcing in Uther and Arthur that is a bad lesson. They keep defeating magical beasts without knowing that it's Gaius and Merlin doing magic behind the scenes. And that's why everyone's alive. They're reinforcing a very bad behavior. It makes me think of, there's this great line in the show Psych. If you haven't seen Psych, it's an amazing show. Go see it. The dad's always trying to teach his, his kid a lesson. And in one episode, he's trying to teach him a lesson and things still go his way, even though he did the wrong thing. And he yells at him. He's like, no, no, don't you dare learn a wrong lesson while I'm trying to teach you a right one. I'm frustrated because this is the product of hiding magic from them when it's good. Right. They think they did it on their own. With a sword. Sorry. And grit. I don't know. Is it the first time we ever hear the words old religion? Yes. I thought so, but I needed to hear it from you because you would notice it way more than me. I, like, I think that's the first time we've heard it. This is a little different. It's a deeper part of magic. Right. Of course. We're back to Morgana's nightmares. And she gets woken up. How early is Gwen getting to work that Morgana still sleeps half the day? Seriously. She runs outside to the courtyard where Merlin and Arthur are gathering the knights to go kill the questing beast. Which, by the way, could have just let it lie for a bit. You didn't have to run out the next day. <laughs> Tell people to stay away from there. Just don't go in that forest. It's not coming into the city. Again, Uther just decides when it's time to risk everyone's lives. I don't love that basically Morgana gets treated like a hysterical woman. Oh my God, that annoys me so much throughout this entire episode. They're like dragging her off the way you do in a movie where you're condemning someone to the asylum in the old days. Yes. But Merlin's always got that, that knowing gaze. Because he's like, it's okay, she has nightmares. Because he's trying to protect her. But to himself, he's like, oh, shit. It just seems, it's just, but that's also the thing. Because they have to keep hiding all of this, she's just treated as a crazy person. She's like, oh, just like, go back to bed. Go back to bed. It's like, oh. They're out in the forest looking for this beast now. And I got to say, I see that footprint. And all I'm thinking about is the Jurassic Park theme song. It's not, it's not their fault. It's just that I love Jurassic Park. <laughs> I love it. It's not. It's just a classic. It's a classic and I love it. And if I see a giant, giant footprint in the mud. With water in it. You know. It's Jurassic Park. It's a good thing. If you want to reference something. If this is like we were, he was saying, I have to stop watching Armageddon. No. More Armageddon. More Jurassic Park. Seriously. The best movies are from the 90s. Someone can come fight me about that. Anyway, they make it to the cave. Things go as about as bad as they could. I still don't think that he got bitten. I think he got swiped with a claw, but whatever. I'm not going to quip about the CGI that happened. It was great. It looks great. I just didn't see a bite. Yeah, I didn't see that either. Merlin is a badass. How far has he come? Remember how hard that spell lighting something like Lancelot's lance was? Yeah. Just 
starts off this saga by killing the questing beast alone. Look, he came a long, long way since the very first episode. He's also embodied this whole, this is my destiny thing. And I feel like that's the only way why this is working. Yeah, he's all in. And he rushes Arthur, who's dying, off to Gaius. Even though I'm pretty sure last night Gaius said to him in this very specific warning to him specifically, if it bites you, you're dead. There's no cure. I thought Gaius' words were very clear. Pretty straightforward explanation here, you know, because he also, when he starts talking to Merlin, Merlin is really not paying attention. He's just like looking at a sword and he's like, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Pay attention. This is for real. I can't cure this. So when he comes back, and I know he's in a panic, but I'm just like, hey, Mer, quick thing. He just told you. It was like 12 hours ago. (laughs) We get this exchange between Gaius and Merlin. This is probably my favorite line of the episode. Merlin says, we haven't done all the things we were meant to do. And Gaius says, that's the lament of all men. Brilliant. Just a very wise line. I always love the lines that are either funny and clever or are applicable to my own life. (laughs) Yeah. And he's 100% right. But I love that that argument doesn't get to Gaius, but the simple Gaius, he's my friend. And Gaius says, well, then save him. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like Gaius, he knows that he doesn't know how great of a warlock Merlin can be. He knows he, that he can be the best. So maybe being the best can actually save him. Maybe Gaius, is, Gaius can't, but Merlin can. So you might as well try, right? Yeah, he hasn't seen the full strength of Merlin's powers, and he knows that. So it's worth the gamble. Although when Uther comes in, Merlin puts it on Gaius. And it's going to be Merlin who does it, but it's going to have to appear like Gaius did it. Right. Gaius will find a cure. Gaius gives him the look of death. Like, just the the eyeballs of shut up. No, I won't. I didn't say anything. Don't write checks. My ass can't cash, kiddo. I also think that Gaius was more concerned about the magic because he was concerned that Uther would just come in through the door and see Merlin doing magic on Arthur. Although, Uther's so distraught, he doesn't see jack shit because... Merlin does magic right then and there. He closes the book. Am I being a naive TV viewer who doesn't know how production works when I think that Anthony Head is literally carrying Bradley James through a courtyard? So I have so many questions about this. And Bradley James, first of all, is not a tiny little guy. He's not slight. He has a bunch of muscle on him and chain mail on him. If, look, if this is fake, I don't know how they did it. I really don't. Because I swear, I swear that they film him waist up first, right? In the tight shot, I could see how it could be faked. Someone's helping you carry him. So that's what I thought. I was like, oh, okay, like, there's no way. And then there's just the wide shot. I'm like, wait, what? Maybe the tight shot was faked. And then when they went to do the wide shot, it was so short. Because it's only a few steps in the wide shot. But even a few steps carrying a grown man who's limp and has chainmail on 
is not easy to carry him the way he's carrying him. It's not over the shoulder. You're carrying him out front in front of you with your arms out. Like, I'm impressed. And when you're playing dead, your body just becomes so much heavier. There's not like one arm of Arthur like behind his neck. So like you can try to play dead, but kind of help hold yourself up. No, he's just literally dead on his arms. And it's just a few, it's a good five steps. And he has to kneel down with control to gently place Arthur on his knee, which I don't know how he did that. You can't fucking drop the person on the floor. It's very hard. You're a dancer. You know exactly how much control that took. It's very hard. I'm just impressed. It's very, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I'm very impressed. I was like, Anthony Head is so freaking strong. He's so strong. I'm scared. Wow. I was just impressed. But besides that, I'm also impressed because the knights swoop in to carry Arthur. The shot is actually beautiful. The lighting is crazy good coming into the courtyard. It's just a beautiful shot. The capes work. I mean, anytime you slow the capes down just like a little bit, it wasn't like super slow-mo, but it was just like a little bit. Yeah, it was a little. Just billow out a little bit. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's sad and it's heartbreaking. How how were you feeling at this point? Were you like, oh shit, Arthur's going to die? No, I never thought that he was actually going to die. I knew That's why I said... Maybe Uther can give his life to see because I knew that this exchange was going to happen because it had to. Some exchange had to happen. The knights carry him off and, of course, Merlin runs to the dragon. I get another line that's very close to my favorite line of the episode because Merlin says, I cannot save him. And the dragon says, you don't know how to save him. I have that written down. This is, again, like applicable to my life. No, it's not that you can't. You just don't know how. That's a very big distinction when you're living your life. Is it that you can't or you just don't have the knowledge? And I feel like it just resonated so much with myself also because I feel like a lot of the times I have that can't self-talk in my head all of the time. And maybe I should listen to the dragon more and switch. Also... I just want to insert something here for everyone who has been complaining that the dragon doesn't give clear directions. Directions in this episode couldn't be clearer, (laughs) including directions on how to get to the place. I'm just saying. Very clear, but also here's the thing about the dragon this episode. I'm not worried about the clarity of statements and help and directions. Right after you get the, you don't know how, and he said, I'll do anything. I'm getting very evil vibes. The eyes get a little squinty and he sees an opportune moment. I'm not getting very helpful vibes from the dragon right there. I'm getting like, what are you up to vibes? So this was the first, very first episode that now I'm, who I am on the dragon side all the time. This was the first episode that I could see. I'm not helping you to fulfill your destiny. I'm helping you because... Of something that I want. Yeah, this is their their next meeting, which breaks my heart because Merlin hasn't gotten there yet. He doesn't realize that there's something for him to gain. It's not that he wants magic to come back to the kingdom out of the goodness of his dragon heart. He wants magic back in the kingdom because he wants to get the hell out of there. Which I don't blame him, but 
in this episode, I do get a little bit of, I want to get out of here because I have an evil plan vibe. Also, it's one thing to want that, which is everyone would want their freedom. I'm not saying that's what makes him bad. It's that he is manipulating Merlin and not telling him the truth. But we'll get that to there later because Merlin is heartbroken because Merlin is, what, again, 18, 19? He's pretty naive when it comes to people. Yes. Although a better judge of character than both Uther and Arthur combined. We're starting to find out about the old religion aspect of it. Get even deeper side of magic. The dragon says no matter what the cost, he has to live. Which I'm back to like, what, two episodes ago when he was like, so (laughs) Arthur dies, whatever. (laughs) But my question at the end of the scene is, what aren't you saying? What aren't you saying? Because he's saying at all costs. And I'm like, that sounds ominous. What are you saying? And I want us to remember this line because at the end, I have something to say exactly about this line. The no matter the cost? Correct. We'll come back to it. Merlin goes back to Gaius and they get into an actual fight because Gaius does know what the dragon is saying. He knows exactly what it is. He's learned the hard way with the grain. Gaius is scared and he's fighting Merlin because he knows what the price is to save Arthur's life. He has been through all of this once and it didn't end up well. Poor Gaius is like, I've been in this story already the last time the questing beast showed up and I don't want to do this again. It didn't end well the first time and I don't think it's going to end well this time either. (sighs) Sad. He's fighting Merlin because he's scared. Again, brilliant writing, right? The motivation of the fight isn't being mean. It's I care about you and I'm getting upset because you're, you're being reckless. Right. And he has so much more information than Merlin. He has lived through so much more that he knows the actual dangers of going to do this are. Their relationship being what it is, we cut to supportive guys. Something that honestly, even though I've seen this before, made me tear up a bit. The rabbit's foot. And the way he's like, oh no, it's okay, I'll just take it back. I'm not superstitious. And Roland's like, no, I want it. It's very sweet. It's very sweet. And then we get questing Merlin. Forget questing beasts. Full quest mode Merlin. Love it. Merlin is the Arthur of this episode. (laughs) That's true. Kills a beast with a sword, goes on a quest. His Arthur is semi-dead. So, you know. He is semi-dead. He's what in Princess Bride we call mostly dead. (laughs) That's what the dragon asks. Is he still breathing? Like, is he dead dead or almost dead? Or mostly dead? Mostly. Mostly dead. Oh my god, if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen Princess Bride, pause this and go watch Princess Bride and then come back to the podcast. No, don't leave the podcast. Stay here and go watch it after you finish listening to us. (laughs) While he's on his quest, we get a little bit of a, a series of people nursing Arthur, which Gwen is just revealing a lot. I didn't know Gwen felt all these ways. I guess a lot has happened with her dad dying. That's true. And the only hope she feels for living here and the future of this place is Arthur's goodness. Because she says he will be a greater king than your father could ever be. She already sees that in him. And she also says, that's what keeps me going. Yes, which is amazing. She delivers the first for the love of Camelot. When she said it, wait, no, they said it before in this episode. Really? They said it when all of the knights were going riding out. Wow, did not hear them. Am I going crazy? 
Maybe I'm wrong, guys, but I think that I, I because the first time that I watched, I didn't hear it. And the second one, I did. I didn't hear it. I was taking notes. You see, that's what happens when you don't pause when you're taking notes. You're like, I know what's happening. Either way, this episode has the first For the Love of Camelot. That's true. It's very exciting stuff. It is. I was like, there it is. She even like kisses his hand. I'm just saying. Okay. Vibes. I see vibes. All the vibes. And there's a vigil outside, which, hey, turns out people really like Arthur. Yeah. He's a popular guy. Seeing as his father's the king, I mean, he's the better option. We get this moment, though, with Uther in there where he's mad. He's almost mad about the vigil because he's Uther. Well, because he's like, they already gave up on him, you know? But you know, you know. Come on. Also, they're like praying for him. That's not giving up. Yeah, I guess. Shut up, Uther. He also says the saddest thing Uther ever says for me, actually, I think, in this whole show. Oh. I don't believe in miracles. I think that gets to a lot of the core problem of what's wrong with Uther. He has no faith in anything greater than him. This is him living by the sword. This is why he needs to know magic is always helping him. Because he doesn't believe in the magical quality of life. And he doesn't believe in miracles. Even though he's seen dead men rise. Honestly, you've seen so many weird things that I don't know how you don't believe in this kind of stuff. He's not saying I don't believe in magic, but still like miracles is that magical quality of life. Right. I don't know. It made me sad for him, not mad at him. I'm just like, that's what's sad about you. Is that you have no belief that anything can good can just happen. It is sad. And that's why your life sucks in a way, even though you're king. Yeah, I agree. Merlin, when he reaches the destination, I literally had to pause and go Google what this castle was. I'm going there. I've always, I have always wanted to go to Wales. This castle is in Wales. I'm going to go there. This location is so stunning. It is so crazy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so cool. It's so cool. I'm going. Just saying. I can go with you. Yay. We'll take a trip together. Trip to Wales to see the castle. So Nimue shows up. And when he says Nimue, she gives what I can only describe as a Joker smile. She goes full Joker. Yes. Full, full evil, I think. Which, yeah, that says, you can trust me, Merlin. This big old evil smile on my face. Trust me. Merlin says his life is worth a hundred of mine. Interesting. Is it? Well, if it's worth a hundred, we're getting there. The count is like, we're counting to like 10 now that Merlin saved Arthur's life. It's really just 90 now because you've already saved him 10 times. Every time we save him, he's worth less. Because the only reason he's alive is because of you. Correct. I love your scale. Which means in a couple of seasons, Merlin will be worth more than Arthur. (laughs) Right. This scene, to me, is huge. In the scheme of the Arthurian tale, it's not even huge in the scheme of this episode. They, with great nonchalance, reveal the main star of Arthurian legends, the Cup of Life, which is this show's version of the Holy Grail. Yeah. This episode has a holy grail and it doesn't even make like the top 10 list of things that matter in this episode, which is crazy because in the Arthurian legend, this is the thing. Yes. On top of that, Merlin's quest is the one that brings him to the cup of life. It's not Arthur on a quest. In their version, you know, so far Merlin created Excalibur. Yeah. And has found the cup of life. By accident. 
on purpose by accident. He was not trying to find the cup. He was trying to find the, the thing that would save Arthur, which is the cup. You know. A solution. Yeah. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, they're giving these things to Merlin. Yeah. That he behind the scenes. Did you ever watch Xena? Yes. Are you serious? What kind of question is that? <laughs> this is the 90s reference episode of this podcast. Xena, a lot of what they did as writers was attribute historical happenings to Xena. Yep. But anyway, back to this. Side note, I'm going to need that vial immediately. I'm going to need someone from BBC to mail that to me. I want it. Props department, if you're listening, please mail us a box with various stuff from your show. That's the thing I want. It is so cool. Merlin goes back so proud of himself, which he should be. So in Arthur's room, this is where I have that feeling of you're teaching Uther a bad lesson here. This is why he doesn't take your warning seriously in the beginning. Because every time you tell him this thing can't be beaten, somehow it does magically without him knowing that it's magic. Right. Instead of saying, hey, this is what we had to do. You say, this is a flower that I collected and made a tincture that is our last hope. Yeah. So this is a little bit of, it's on them why Uther is really dismissive of them when they warn him. I totally agree. So they walk off and Morgana goes full creepy person in the hallways grabbing you out of the shadows mode. I actually, it frightened me. This scene, I was not expecting it. And I'm like, holy shit, why do you have to scare me like that? Serious jump scare and serious awkwardness from Merlin. I guess Merlin knows he's about to die. So he's not really concerned with her warnings. Because he just doesn't even answer her. He just walks away. <laughs> so this scene, I'm like... Do you also think that she's a crazy person or you're like, I got this covered because I'm magical? No, I think he's like, no shit, it's about to get worse. I'm about to keel over and die, idiot. I don't know. I didn't really feel that from him. I think that maybe he was like, it's going to be okay because I know that I'm going to die. I don't know. I don't know what I felt from him, but I know that the thing behind it the way the reason for him to act that way is that he already knows the bad thing that's coming. Like it's only the beginning. Yeah. I have to die now. Yeah. Should have listened to Morgana though, because some serious bad juju is about to go down. But first, Arthur's alive. Everything's happy for a second between Gaius and Merlin. This scene has there's not even a line. Richard Wilson and Colin Morgan have all of my admiration for the devastation I feel when they just Gaius looks at him and Merlin looks down and I'm just they do such a good job in this scene that it just saddens me yeah well again acting without words is so hard is the hardest thing that you can ever do and they do it perfectly they make you feel what their characters are feeling it's pitch perfect luckily it gets kind of broken up by Arthur stuff so Arthur and Uther are having a chat, Arthur says something that's too true and so oblivious. Think there's someone keeping me from harm, is what he says. Yeah, yeah, someone is. No kidding. How can he be so wise and so stupid at the same time? Do you not see him standing next to you? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. No one has asked how the questing beast died. That is something that blows my mind. I'm like, Arthur, you were dead on the floor. Clearly, all of the other knights... I mean, 
Merlin could say he killed the beast before he fell down, which maybe that's the story that they're that it's running through Camelot, that Arthur stabbed the beast and then fell down because she bit him anyway. Because Arthur, even if he says, I don't remember that, he could just be like, well, you almost died. So no one wants your opinion. Right. You wouldn't remember this anyway. You're like, yeah, it does kill me that Arthur's first question is what isn't what happened to the beast? Yeah. Gwen then comes in and there's something perfect about how in these in these last couple of episodes, these recent Gwen Arthur scenes are going. First of all, I love that he's mocking her. He's like something about the man that I am inside. But it's the way that Bradley has managed to perfectly say Guinevere in one word. I get so much from him. Yes. I thought of you because you had already discussed the way that he says her name. And I this time I'm like, oh, there it is. You feel it, right? You're like, oh, Guinevere. <laughs> he says it perfectly. I don't even, I can't even imitate it because it's so perfect that I wouldn't even try. But there is something about the way he says Guinevere. And because we never hear her name, it's already, it stands out. It's just a podcast where we praise these actors' acting abilities the whole time. Yep. But hey, that's why the show is good. That's why we're here. That and to react to the choices of storytelling that are being made, which are frustrating in this episode. It almost killed me. It literally almost killed me. But I'm alive. Poor innocent baby Merlin. And I'm going to call him that because that's what he looks like sitting on this bed, looking at his rabbit's foot, thinking he's going to die. Who even goes to sleep? <laughs> I would be awake for as long as possible. I'm like, I'm never going to sleep ever again. I'm never going to close my eyes. It's not going to happen. It's crazy that, that he and Gaius are able to fall asleep. I'm like, I can't fall asleep under a little bit of stress. I guess you just give in. What are you going to do? You're going to die. So I'm just going to go to sleep. Also, also, I guess, you know, Merlin has done a lot. And so I guess he was already exhausted and it was just better to just die in your sleep. I don't disagree with that. I guess. It just, it makes me so sad, this little act of just sitting on the edge of your bed with your little rabbits, but he looks like a little kid. Yeah. And then something scary happens. Who did you think that was? Like the Grim Reaper? I thought that that was a person who was coming to get Gaius. And I'm like, you get out of here. You get out, you leave. But most of all, on that scene, I'm like, this is why Camelot keeps getting attacked. <laughs> the guards are like who's that <laughs> and they don't even move they literally look at each other being like weird and never say anything never do anything they don't move at all at all they just give a give a like oh my god what a weirdo look to each other and just let the person come in in the middle of the night in the rain i have nothing else to say <laughs> you need to change your staff camelot this is a serious problem I've been saying this for so long. Camelot has the worst security ever. Ever. It's a castle. You're supposed to be protecting everyone inside. If a person comes in the middle of the night, you're supposed to question what they're doing here. Who are you? Stop them and question them. What do you want? What is your purpose? Where are you going? I'm not even saying it has to be a full session of questioning. Just a simple who are you? And what's your business here? Nope. There's like the same hundred people in Camelot. They all must recognize each other. It's not like the guards don't know who's around town. They don't even move. The scene was so bizarre because I'm like, 
are you just gonna let this person especially because I thought that this person was going to kill Gaia so I'm like can you do something can you move look alive I don't know look alive so you thought it was a person who was gonna kill Gaius not the Grim Reaper yes well no 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 I thought that there was it was something magical that had come to take Gaius instead of Merlin because when Merlin says I'll give my life for Arthur when he is with Nimue she tells him, if you only it was that easy. So to me, that said, you don't get to choose who dies. You just get to choose to get into this agreement with me. And then the outcome is not under your control or mine. So now we're back to something we were talking about a couple episodes ago. This is why Nimue is horrible. And why Uther is a little bit more right than her. Oh, I didn't choose that it was going to be Grain who died. Uh-huh. Did you choose to purposefully admit that there wasn't a choice about who died and it could be anybody they cared about? Because she purposefully doesn't spell out to Merlin, oh no, you can't choose. It's just going to be determined by the old religion. Right. And you would have thought twice. And it seems like the old religion grabs somebody that's dear to you. Seems like the old religion has an A, a penchant for moms, and is kind of an asshole. Correct. But, well, we know I got that sense when she said that line because I know the backstory of Arthur and his mother and Uther, and Merlin doesn't. If he knew it, he could also recognize this. But nobody has told him because it's a fucking secret. He's still a naive kid in a way because she says it and he doesn't question it. We'll get into how naive he is in a second. So... We find out in the morning that it's Hunith. I wrote down, Nimue, you suck. Even if she didn't choose, she knew. She knew. It's. It really seems to me like the old religion picks somebody who's going to, it's going to hurt. The person making the request, it's going to hurt as much as it could possibly hurt. Right. And that's not killing you. That's killing your mom. But then here is Merlin saying, I will do anything. I will do anything. I will do anything. Doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. But it does matter what it is. It does. Because by anything he thinks he's choosing, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I will do anything. Not I will give up anybody. I will do anything. Me. Personal sacrifice of me. Not putting my mom's head on the chopping block. He doesn't see it that way. Well, but that's something. I will do anything. Anything includes putting other people in the line for Arthur. Well, here we go down the line of naivete of young Merlin. He goes back to the dragon because why not? As if he's going to help. He's never shown care for anyone. He's not going to care about your mom. She couldn't be more meaningless to the dragon if you tried. He does not care. As far as the dragon's concerned, your mom's only purpose in this planet was to bring you about. And that's done. So don't know why you're going there. It breaks my heart to watch the scene of like, oh, he's finally realizing that there's an ulterior motive here. And that's why the dragon's a dick. He should have said on day one, I have a reason I want this. Here's the reason why I think you should want this. Let's work together. No, just manipulate him. Well, yes and no. Because I'm like, come on, this is just basic. Magic is prohibited. The dragon is magic. If magic is back, the dragon can get out. It's not like rocket science here. I know, but it doesn't make him a good guy. That he's always like, oh, but it's your great. Like he's always, oh, you're great and you're a great destiny. Like, hey, we have a common interest. I understand. He's manipulating a child. I understand. 
he's a thousand years old. Merlin is like 18. Let's work together. We both have a common interest in magic being allowed, right? That's that's the way you're straightforward. He's kind of a dick. A little bit. Yes, I understand. I can I can say that he is, especially in this one. That's what I said. It's like this is the first episode that I saw that I've seen a little evil come out of him. Not really sure what he's planning for when he gets out. No one says he's like a friendly dragon who roams the skies and does nothing to anybody. Exactly. So that's what I picked up from this episode that is like, I might have an evil plan and I need you to get me out of here so I can complete this. Yeah, not great. Not good stuff. And then he attacks Merlin. This is okay. This is when you lose me on the dragon. Do not do that. I mean, I think that I think that he just wanted to scare Merlin because he wouldn't kill him. I mean, again, we're... he wouldn't. He's he's his only hope. He wouldn't kill him. I know. I'm just like, OK, control your rage again. You're a thousand years old. When you're that old, learn to control yourself, all right? I don't disagree. So, guys and Merlin, I just, I'm heartbroken, okay? Because I don't know what to say. This is the moment, this is the first time that I cried. Because it is one of the times. I cried more later, but I cried a little bit in this time. Because I think it's so beautiful. I wrote the whole thing down because it's so beautiful. When Merlin comes and he says, you have taught me so much, taught me who I am, which is like, oh my God, taught me the purpose for my skills, taught me the magic should only be used for great deeds. But most of all, you've always taught me to do what's right. I mean, I do get a little, a little bit of that well of tears happening because it's just like, oh, guys, his reply is just trying to, because I'm back to Merlin saying, Arthur's life is worth a hundred of mine, right? And here Gaius is trying to be like, you you are worth a lot. He's really just trying to be like, you know your life is worth a lot, by the way. Because let's remember, he's not some random servant. He's fucking Merlin. Right. And the dragon said earlier in the episode that his destiny is only fulfilled when Arthur gets to the throne. This is not it. This is this was only saving Arthur's life. Doesn't mean he's not getting to the throne right now. Well, we found something he cares about more than his destiny, and it's his mom. Which I understand. I don't think that even he knew that at some point. Well, his mom's never been at risk. She's always been kind of off living her life, you know? Because the last time he almost quit his destiny was when his mom was in trouble. That's true. And this time he says, my destiny, like, it's my mom. Without her, my powers mean nothing. I mean, look, I feel like this was the writer's room meeting. Who do we put in danger? Is it Gaius? No, the one person he always is willing to give up his destiny for is his mom. Yeah. He's just, he's made up his mind. So he he says, I have to go say goodbye to Arthur, which is such a scene and a half. I'm like, oh, Arthur, why don't you just stay asleep? Because I'm like, you're already (laughs) annoying me. Do not, oh, what a jerk. I love Arthur in this scene because he's kind of, his normal self, but tired. So even the things he says, he says them with a little less bite and doesn't fight Merlin as much. You know, he says them, but only half-heartedly because the truth is he loves Merlin. Yeah, but why a jerk? Oh, come on. Well, what you said to Morgana this morning, I'm just going to say to you now, go back to bed. That's funny. He walks in and, and Arthur says, I owe it all to guys in a very nice gesture. He doesn't mean anything by it. And you get that little smirk from Merlin 
and who's literally, again, killed the questing beast alone and gone on a huge quest alone. And his mom is now dying because of the, all of this. Man, Merlin really takes things on the chin really well. I just, what I love is like this whole conversation is going and the line they write is, I sometimes wonder if you know who I am. I decide when we talk. Right. See, me a jerk. Again, I want to know where we're at from episode one, right? These are the two characters that have changed the most. Because we get the line from episode one. You're a prat and a royal one. But he's so, there's so much more mature in this scene, right? You can see real friendship in this scene when he says that. Because you know that it's a joke. You know that he's trying to get to you. You, you just know. It's just a joke between friends. Yeah, it's their inside joke from the day they met. And he says to him, are you ever going to change, Marlon? Which I don't believe him. I don't believe that's what he wants. Marlon says, no, you'd be bored. Yeah, so you don't think he wants him to change? I don't think so. Marlon's right. He would be bored. That's why he keeps him around. By the way, there's like a thousand other people who could be a servant, like right outside. That's true. He says, I'm happy to be your servant till the day I die, which is his way of trying to tell Arthur, I'm going off to my death. Arthur replies, sometimes I think I know you, Marlon. Then he gives him the real line, right? You must learn to listen as well as you fight. It's like the only time Arthur doesn't even push back on the advice. He knows that that's good advice and that's something that he actually needs to work on. I don't feel like any of this is forced. It feels like a regular conversation between friends. They're so good at writing this stuff. So good. Love these writers. Thank you very much. Even though I'm so mad at them for half the things they put us through in this episode. We're getting to the worst. Oh, look. I don't even know how to talk about it. I'll talk about it when I have to talk about it. Just go on. Here's something nice. The goodbye to Gwen is very hard. Again, they have a harder time sharing their feelings with each other than other people. Because Merlin comes right out and says to Gwen, you have such a good heart, Gwen. Don't ever lose that. She does. Yeah. I mean, their goodbye is quick, but really true and honest. Yeah. It's appropriate. He says bye to his mom. Ah, that is sad. That is sad. It's about to get sadder, though. That's the part where I cry. I can't. Oh, God. (laughs) The letter from Gaius. Guys, you don't understand. I cry a lot in movies and series because I invest myself emotionally a lot in these characters. So I cried the first time that I watched. Then I watched the second time to take notes. And as I was writing my notes, I was also crying and my tears are like now splotched on the page because I was looking down at the page and they were just like falling down. So looks like I was writing a a letter that I was going to die, like to leave here for my family and be like, bye family. (laughs) Those teary letters. I'm only laughing because I feel you. I cry at everything. My emotions are right at the surface. I could see a commercial or YouTube video and cry. Oh my God. You see those like the Dodo uh, Instagram handle, like they have videos of rescue dogs. I cry at all of them. Yeah. Literally all of them. It takes me nothing. I see a happy dog, I cry. It's just what it is. Oh, please. God forbid I see someone on my TV achieving their dreams. Buckets of tears. I cry when I'm happy. I cry. You know, 
there was this interview years ago with Kristen Bell on Ellen, and she said something. I love her. This is the moment where I started loving her, loving her as someone who's in the public eye, is that she said, if I'm above a six or below a four on the emotional scale of 10, I'm crying. And that's, I get it, because if I'm happy, I'm crying. If I'm sad, I'm crying. God forbid, and I get in an argument, crying. We're Yeah, we're very similar. So I totally understand. So you can imagine, I was, because my worst fear materialized. I told Sonia, I was like, I didn't want to jink myself last time. I didn't say Gaius' name, but it's finally happening. My worst fear is finally happening right now as we speak. And the letter itself breaks my heart a little bit. These writers are so mean to me. <laughs> me personally. It was a personal slight. Gaius says things that I'm like, that's not true. He says, my life has had very little purpose to it. And I haven't done much that will be remembered. That is definitely not true. And I'm so, it makes me so sad that he feels this way. Yeah, it's devastating that that's how he feels about his life. Meanwhile, he's trying to teach Merlin how worthy he is. He does tell him in the letter. It's, you know, it's so much more meaningful when you write something down to tell someone. It is. And he says, you know, greatest warlock ever. Not just like, oh, you could be really powerful. Oh, you're really talented. Oh, and then the way that he ends this letter, it is the best. He goes, to have known you has been my greatest pleasure. And to sacrifice myself for you is but an honor. You are and always will be the son I never had. Like, I'm almost crying as I read this from my page. (laughs) (laughs) We're ridiculous. This is ridiculous. (laughs) We are ridiculous. I mean, like, look, I know it's fiction, but these, these writers are so good. Because it feels so real. It feels so real. This is what I love about storytelling. This is why you and I, okay, listeners, this is why Mila and I love to watch the same things and talk about them together because we love storytelling. And it's just when it's done well, it means so much to get to have this emotional experience with such a beautiful story someone's written. What could be better than that? Someone made a piece of art and it made you feel something. I love it. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Just access parts, a part of yourself that's just there. And I think, I just think it's so beautiful when a piece of art, exactly when a piece of art does that. Yeah. And those lines kill me too. When he says, you're the son I never had. I mean, cause you know, Merlin was wrong earlier. He said, my only family is my mom. Untrue. That is not true. And I remember that. I'm like, that's just... I don't think he really feels that way. He's just mad. No. Right. Right. Arthur dying is partly about his destiny, but it's because he cares about Arthur. He would also sacrifice himself for Gaius and is riding off to do so. He gets out of there. He rides in a fury out of Camelot. In a fury for real. That's not writer. Wow, man. Good job. And Morgana... You know, here's something about Morgana that I want to know. She keeps having visions. Do you think in any of her visions she's seen Merlin do magic? No. Because she would have 100% just run straight up to him, right? I think so. Because, well, 
at least I would. If I was being deemed crazy because I'm having these visions and I see some someone doing something that is also magical, yes, I would go and talk to them. Be like, I had a vision of you doing this. What up? Also, how lucky for Merlin that none of her visions... I would, that's what I would be worried about if I were Merlin, is that she has visions that she can't control and neither can you. And all it takes is the wrong snippet of information going through her brain to show her... Careful how you flip that book open with your eyes because she might just see that. Right. Just saying, we're very lucky that she never sees that. Magical windows, not so magical seeing the future powers. So he arrives and it's battle time. I'm not even going to quip over what boat he used to get over there because guys use the boat. I'm not even going to get into it. Doesn't matter. He flew over there for all I care. Walked on water. In my head, I'm like, he summoned the boat back and then took the boat and went there. That's my head. That's what I, because I noticed that, because that bothers me also. <laughs> the, the logistics of how this happened? Yes. I'm just going to say Accio boat. And then, you know, you know, I I figured it out in my head. Go on. Hey, I'm with you. I'm like, I'm just not going to concentrate on this, but it doesn't mean I didn't ask. <laughs> so you got over there full on battle magic, because remember when he couldn't distinguish the difference between him and Mordred, even though the dragon's telling him you're different? Yes. I like that when she's like, we're the same. And the dragon's saying we're the same. He's ready to tell these people, just because we're both magic doesn't mean we're equal. Yeah. I'm a better person than you. He says to her, we share nothing. I share nothing with you. What's interesting is, I don't know, have we heard the word priestess before? Because we're hearing a lot of terms in this episode that weren't being termed. It's always been sorcerer, sorceress. Mm-hmm. It was the first time for sure. That sounds like even more magic. There's more stuff that we don't know yet. Like always. Again to the fight, and halfway through it, Merlin goes complete Terminator mode, I feel like. Again, another 90s reference. He just, like, stands back up, and we've never seen him angry like that. We've seen him mad. When he's down on the floor, there's, like, smoke coming out of his chest. His eyes are closed. When he opened his eyes, you know that he is for real. You know that he's, like, it's on. Now it's on. I'm going to get all my power and you're going to see what happens. Yeah. No spell. Just power. Just calls down the heavens and smites her. That's what smiting looks like. That's a Zeus kind of power right there. Yeah. That's no regular lightning. That's like the power of the gods kind of lightning. Yes, like Thor kind of lightning. Mm -hmm. Guys is okay. But so I was like... Whatever. I th- I really thought that he was dead. For real, for real. Because I'm like, this is, it's just, it's not going to revert, right? In my head, I'm like, it already has been done. And her life just wouldn't, I don't know. Because she didn't give her life. So I don't know. He wouldn't cross. In my head, I'm like, he's actually dead. I buy this because I'm back to I hope you kids stopped and went to go watch Princess Bride or you're not going to understand what I'm saying here. I think Gaius was mostly dead. He didn't go check a pulse. He doesn't know if he was dead, dead. I think if he'd crossed over, it'd be a lost cause. Yeah. Mostly dead. But I like that you bought it because it's, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Do you think that before the last season, our four main characters, any of them are going to die? Really? No. Because the whole point is who they become, right? Yes. 
So you never believe it when they're in danger. You do, but you don't. I do, but I don't. It's like when they're in danger, I'm more interested. No, I'm not really interested. It's like, oh my God, is he going to die? I'm more interesting is how are they going to solve this problem that arised? Exactly. But with Gaius and Uther and Huneth and Tom, they're all up for grabs. Tom was already in the bag. Gone. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like all these additional characters that we peripherally or really care about, like we care about guys. We don't care about Tom, but one of our main characters cares about Tom. But they're the ones that uh, to me are up for grabs is everybody else. Yeah. Lancelot, whoever, all of the other characters that you've met that you care about that you don't want to see die or the ones that you do want to see die, I should say, because you really want Uther to die. Are you sad? Are you sad that Uther didn't die? Not really, because then we get Anthony Head for another season. I was like, this is better this way. He's too good. I don't want to let go of him yet. There's four more seasons for him to die. It's all good. I don't know. I also always have the like secret wish in my heart that he will become a good person before he dies. Because you do believe in miracles, because you have a heart. I do. So, you know, maybe that will happen. Now we get a chance because I know that he's in the second season. Yeah. Listen, it's never bad when Anthony Head sticks around for a little bit longer. Nope. And this is brilliant. This is, this is, I didn't get like the ending that is them at the dinner table, but it's the same. He's holding him in the rain and he's it's like, you, you amaze me. It's like, oh, you believe in me now? And he says, well, I would if you could stop this blasted rain. <laughs> and they just laugh. It is so sweet because it is. It's not a dinner, but it is. It's just a sweet interaction between the two of them. And and then the dragon is really mad. Now, was it the dragon being mad or Morgana seeing the dragon freak out? So I thought that it was the dragon actually being mad and Morgana hearing him. Mm, that's another option. I can't tell. And the thing is, if the dragon was mad, I want to go back to that line in the beginning that we were talking about, that he's like, oh, no matter what cost, Arthur has to live. And if he's mad that Nimue died because they were working together somehow, you said no matter what cost, so don't be mad now that your friend died. Yeah, like, thanks for putting Hunith. Merlin, Gaius on the chopping block, but Nimue, again, she was a good villain, so I can't call her a totally bad person, but I mean, in this episode, yes, a totally bad person who like kind of enjoys the suffering of others. But I mean, if he said, no matter what, no matter what, just do whatever you have to do, but Arthur has to live, then it just is what it is, is no matter what. So your friends are up for grabs also, and one just went. And the fact that you were rooting for Nimue doesn't speak well of you because she's proven herself to be a terrible person in this episode. So so that's how I saw the end of this episode, and that's why I extra felt that tiny little bit of evil plan coming from the dragon. I mean, we'll see what he does in season two if he ever doesn't just live in a dungeon. Although... Are you sad now? Because Merlin said, you're never going to see me again. Oh, I am. I, at that, that scene, I'm like, oh, just let him go. It's okay. 
You want to just release him? Not now, when like Magic is back and whatever. Okay. I don't think Merlin's going to keep him prisoner if Magic comes back. Doesn't seem like a very Merlin move. Merlin said you're never going to get out of here. Never. Not even if Magic... Never means not even if Magic comes back, you'll get out of this dungeon. I'm just saying. It's like Morgana's like, I'll never forgive you. I mean, I roll much. Like, do you really believe Merlin is vindictive? And Merlin was really mad because his mom was dying. So I understand. I don't believe that he's vindictive. And yeah, I was a little sad. What's really weird? There's no next week on Merlin because this was a season finale. So that means people waited like eight months to see the next episode. Oh my God, what torture. I know better than to start shows when they're still on. Because I hate waiting for a new season. I kind of like the waiting a little bit. Like the excitement of like, oh my God, it's going to premiere. Oh my God. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, I like it the day before. I don't like the eight months in between. Well, you know, I like it because it just like opens my schedule to watch other shows. So I'm like, oh, I can put you in this like bag right here in the corner real quick. I'll come back to you after I watch everything else. This is a viewing habits question because I like to only be watching one thing at a time. I watch several things at a time. I don't. I watch one show a bunch of times and then I let it go forever. Oh, that's so interesting. I watch, I'm currently watching two series. I'm currently re-watching The Musketeers, which has a bunch of people from Merlin in it because it's a BBC show and there's like... There you go. I mean... I don't mean this, but sometimes when you watch enough British stuff like I do and I watch a lot of British content, you feel like there's like about 50 British actors. <laughs> there's only so many people. It's like the way that Colin Morgan was in uh, Doctor Who and David Tennant's wife was in Merlin. Like there's only so many of these people. <laughs> Look, it's the same way I've watched um, when I was living in Mexico, I watched Mexican movies a lot. And it just, it was just like the same six people that were in movies all the time. Since we don't have next week, any feelings about the season? I'm so proud of us. We got to the end. I never imagined getting to the end when we started because it was just something so new. And now I feel like we've been doing this forever. It hasn't even been that long. Um, I love the first season. I thought it was a, they did a very good job with the writing, with the arc, with all of the characters. And they did especially great job with the season finale, which you like didn't really know what was going to happen till the very, 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 very end. Um, they made, they did a good job making me curious to see what's going to happen the next season. Without leaving you in a cliffhanger. Yes. I feel like I, it got closure. The main baddie died. Right. That's a big thing that just happened. Nimue died. It is. It's a huge. Because she's been, she's been attacking Camelot for a while now and plotting against them. I mean, at least 20 years. But I appreciate a show that gives you a little glimpse of things to come, but doesn't feel the need to leave you in a cliffhanger every season. I don't particularly love cliffhangers at the end of seasons. It's not necessary. If you've built a world I care about, if you've built good characters and you tell a good story, I'll be back. I'm curious to see what happens next. I only like cliffhangers that will start a conversation. Like if I have to sit and make up a theory in my head of what is happening or what happened or what that means, I like that because I like 
because I like to do in my head with myself, talking with myself to do what we're doing here. That's why it works so well between us because we both do that. But my, I think I've just been let down by too many shows that left on a cliffhanger and got canceled. Oh, that's... Look, I don't like cliffhangers when you don't know that you're going to have a next season. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't, if you don't know you're coming back, don't do that. That's not a good writing technique because then you make your one, two, three, four seasons you got unwatchable to me because I can't come back. I'm not saying I need a neat little bow. I just don't need to be left. Cliffhangers should only be done by series that have already renewed for another season before this season ends. Yeah. Don't do it if you're not sure. Do you have a favorite episode? I went back and kind of like looked at every episode a little bit, like kind of browsed through all of the episodes, like look at a couple scenes. And I think Excalibur is my favorite episode still. Yeah, Gun to My Head, I think that's my favorite. It's a close call for me with Lancelot, I think. Lance, I like Lancelot because I understand the like the importance of the episode, but because he leaves, it feels more like a one-off and Excalibur feels more intrinsic to the story and to the characters that we get to see every day that we watch this show. So I like, I think I like Excalibur better. I also think this one's pretty high up there for the season. Yes. You want your, I think the pilot and the finale of this season are high up there in the ranking of how the season ranks for me, which is what you want. You want to, you want to start and finish strong. Yeah. And I think that my favorite scene, I went back through my notes and it is a scene from episode seven. Which episode is episode seven? Our title is The Gates of Avalon, no cover. So it's called The Gates of Avalon. So it's episode seven and it's one that Merlin has to lie for Arthur all the time. And there is that scene at the end with Uther. Merlin and Gaius, where there's like, have you some kind of mental affliction? And Merlin goes, probably. And Gaius goes, I'm looking into it, sire. <laughs> I'm glad that we're, we've done a season. And what's really cool is even though we have a lot of different opinions about stuff, a lot of the time even, what I love about the core essence of this show is what you seem to like, which is comedy and these you know very real characters and relationships it's so good because the comedy bits get me I don't know that I have a favorite scene of season one I keep my two favorites from episode one and I will raise you Gaius so so now there's three your favorite characters are Gaius Gwen and the dragon and the dragon still makes your list even though you think he might have an evil plan yeah because I'm not I don't want to pre I don't wanna like prejudge him you know I was still look we're gonna have to judge as I go I won't still good for most of this for most of this first season he has been good there was a glimpse in this last episode so we're gonna wait I need more proof before I like fully commit into letting him go Innocent until proven guilty. I mean, even though he's mean, maybe I would just keep him. Okay, that's fine. I'm not judging you. This is funny because this is where we differ, right? Like, I think my favorites are Arthur and Merlin. I'm trying really hard right now to remove all the knowledge I have of the, the 
consecutive seasons and just stick with what happened in season one. Mm-hmm. And I still think the team up of Merlin and Arthur when they're together is my favorite. Followed by Gaius and Merlin. But not by far, by the way. Right. Like, they're neck and neck. It's close. I see it. It's a team-up thing for me. It's like the the thing I like is seeing the back and forth between two characters. I'll still take an Uther and Merlin scene any day. That's why I like that scene so much. That scene is it's a very short exchange, and it's just so perfect, and it's so funny that I think about that all the time. Well, there we go. That's season one. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? I can and can't. Thank you for listening to the whole first season, which I'm guessing you did. If you just started at this episode, go back. I don't do an intro on this podcast explaining what's going on here because I'm like, go watch, go listen to the first episode. Yeah. We'll see you next season. Oh my God. I'm so excited. We should be clear. We're not taking any time off. We'll see you here. You know, next week, but it's going to be the next season. So we'll see you next season.